Welcome to the first Parsha share of this year's cycle, Parsha's Bereshis. The Parsha share is sponsored by Cecile and Ed Gromis in memory of Cecile's mother, Anna Zilberspitz, Chana Bas Shimon, Oleha Sholem, whose Yahzeit is on the 13th of Tishrei. The Neshama should have an Aliyah, we should be Zechati, Trias Hamesim, Parsha's Bereshis, the Book of Bereshis, Sefer Bereshis. What a fantastic Sefer it is, but you know Chazal don't call it Sefer Bereshis, it's called Sefer Yesharim. That's what the very first piece in my grandfather's sefer in Mikdash Halevi discusses. Bereshis parle kimes hashemayim vesaretz. You know, meitzim onu shasefer bereshis nikra sefer hayoshar. That's what it's referred to by Chazal. Kfisha Amru Chazal begemar to gemar na vidazara daf chafhei omadalef. My sefer hayoshar. What is this sefer hayoshar? Amr Abchia bar Abba Amr Biyachanan. Rabbi Chia Bar Abba says in the name of Rabbi Yechanan, the Sefer Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Shenikru'u Yeshorim. This is the book. Yoshar means straight. It means um, Yashar. I mean, we know it from modern Hebrew, straight. But it's more than that. It's about the straightest of character uh, that a person can have, the straightness that a person can display in their character, in their behavior, in their mode of behavior. That's a book about Avraham, Abraham. Yitzchak, Isaac, Yaakov, Jacob, the book that we call Bereshis is in fact Sefer HaYoshar. Why? Because Shenikru Yesharim says the Gemara in Masech Zorah. They are known as Yesharim. Their outstanding characteristic is that they were Yashar. Shenemar, Tomus Nafshi Mois Yesharim. A very curious reference the Gemara gives us from one of the things that Bilam said about himself. He wishes that he would die. The death of the Yesharim, that's, um, it, it's a little obscure when it appears, appears in Parshas Bolak. But he says, Thomas Nafshi Mois Yesharim, he wants to die and be known as one of the Yesharim. Rashi, Sefer Avram and Rashi explains what does he mean. He's talking about uh, the fact that he would like to be known. He wishes that he would have had the character to be known as one of the Yesharim, just like Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov. He regrets the fact. That, that that's not the way he will be recalled once he is dead. That's the book of Bereshis. Sefer Hayosha Shemase Ovois Kesuvim Boy says Rashi. Sefer Bereshis is Sefer Hayosha because the stories, the uh, the stories that come before the beginning, the formation of the Jewish people, the prehistory of the Jewish people. That can be found in Sefer Bereshis, known by Chazal as Sefer Hayosha. And we should really try and understand, says the Mikdash Alevi. Why were the Ovois, the forefathers, the patriarchs, specifically referred to as Yesharim? Why aren't they known as the Tzadikim? Wouldn't it be nice? If it's instead of Bereshis being called Sefer Yosha, be called Sefer Tzadik or Sefer Tzadikim. Why? Because it's discussing Avram, discussing these three great people, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. They were Tzadikim, but no, they're known as Yesharim. Why specifically Yesharim? Or Hasidim. Why aren't they known as the Hasidim? Sefer HaChasidim, we could have called Bereshis. Why is it referred to as Sefer HaYoshar? Why are the Ovois HaKadoshim, why are the patriarchs referred to by this specific um, word, Yoshar, Yeshorim. What is it that Yoshar represents? And here, in this very first piece 
in his book on the Parsha, in his safe on the Parsha, my grandfather, Rabbi Yosef Tzviya Levi Dunar, Mikdash Alevi, he describes the foundational aspect of what it means to be an Evet Hashem. What does it mean to be a Tzaddik? What does it mean to be a Chosid? The very first thing it means is that you have to be a Yoshar, that you are completely straight up and straightforward with your relationship in terms of the things that you're doing for Hashem Yisbarach. Kafisha Nema Baposuk, as it says, Asha Osa HaElokim Esha Odom Yoshar, the Hema Bikshu Cheshboinos Rabim. God makes human beings have the capacity of Yoshar, and it's human beings that set themselves up to be more complicated and complex. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says something very interesting. He says, if you would sit down with a pad and a pen every day and write down all the thoughts that go on in your mind, and you probably think before you sit down in the morning that the pad is, your, you probably won't even have enough pages in the pad because you're going to have to write down so much, all the different things that occur to you throughout the course of the day. And actually, we convince ourselves that we're so complicated, we're so complex, and that there's so much going on in our heads, there's so much distraction. Actually, you'd, feel, you'd find it difficult to fill a page or two with the amount of thoughts that you have in a particular day. People think they're much more com complicated than they are. And by the way, they use that as a smokescreen. They use that um, feeling of being distracted as a way of saying, I don't have time to do the things that are important because I'm too busy doing things which aren't important, even though I wish I didn't have to. Even as Bilom said, you know, I wish I would be one of the Yashorim. Of course, I can't be because I'm too busy cursing the Jews. That's the way we feel. We're not Bilom, but we suffer from the same problem, the same disability, and it's a self-imposed disability. What was the unique characteristic of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? They were Yashorim. They stayed Yashorim. They knew they had to be Yashorim. They knew that this is the foundation for what it means to be a servant of God, to be an Eved Hashem. We know exactly why we're created. We're created to be servants of God, to do the will of Hashem. Whatever our particular qualities are, whatever it is that our purpose is as to why we were created, that's what we need to do and that's what we need to focus on. You know what? Everybody comes with their package. Every comes, everybody comes with their limitations. Everybody comes with their great qualities and the things that they're able to do better than other people. Whatever it is, the package that you were given, you know what you're meant to do. And get straight to it. So you need to work with whatever it is that works for you and discard all of those things that don't work for you. Once you've got into that groove, that's the groove you need to stay in and never depart from. Don't turn right, don't go left, don't find ways of doing things differently. Don't do things in such a way that, yeah, yeah, you could still do them, but I'm doing them a different way. It makes it more interesting, whatever it is, that you'll convince yourself is the reason why you're doing it. Because then you, you're going in the path of Bilam. You're not going in the path of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. What does it mean to be Yasha, to go straight? If you take a ruler and you draw a straight line, what is the unique characteristic of that line? Is that there's nothing in it. There's no, it doesn't curve in any way, shape or form. 
It is what it is. It's a straight line. That's what the moment there's akmimus, it's not straight. If there's any bend or fold or interruption in that straight line, it's no longer a straight line. It doesn't matter how small it is. That deviation doesn't matter. It is a deviation from the straight path. It cannot be described as yashrus. From this we can see what was the defining characteristic of the patriarchs of the forefathers. The thing that qualified them and that made them so distinguished, distinguished them from everybody else was what? Everything that they did was totally with Yashra, straight, straight down the line. No deviation, no digression, no distraction. What we do is what we need to do and what Hashem wants us to do. They fulfilled and discharged their duty in the maximum possible way that, was, that it was possible for them to do. With whatever tchunas they had. You know, we often describe that, um, that for example, Avraham Avinu was a Balchesed. Somebody was very, very kind. You might think, oh, he's a Balchesed. He can't be like Yitzhak Avinu, who was, was somebody who... Who uh, represented Gevura. Not at all. He took his chesed, and in that there was Yashus for the Derech Hashem. Yitzchok Avinu went to the altar. There was absolute Yashus at the Akeda. Didn't deviate, didn't question. There was Gevura there. There was such strength of character. And of course, Avram had strength of character, but that wasn't his defining characteristic. Yaakov Avinu becomes the Bechir Ha'avais. Why? He knows how to manage a family. He knows that in every given situation, the Aviv Shama Esadova, one of the most profound psukim in the whole of Bereshis, possibly the whole Torah, that Yaakov Avinu realized that something was amiss, wasn't quite uh, aware what it was, he didn't quite realize what it was about the dreams of Yosef, that he, he, he couldn't quite put his finger on it. So you know what he did? Extraordinary. He was strategic for Avish Shomai Sadova. He put it aside in his brain. He didn't want it to distract him or to take him away from the reality of his day-to-day life. He, there it was, parked somewhere in his brain, but his life went on. He was Yaakov Avinu this morning. He's Yaakov Avinu tonight. He's going to be Yaakov Avinu tomorrow, the next day, next week, next month, and for the rest of his life. That's what counts. Not silly distractions that might deviate you from the path of Yashus. Yashrus has to be Yashrus all the way down the line. We need to explain. If this is the important theme, it's the name that represents, um, in essence, what Bereshis is about. Sefa Yosha, that it is a book about Yashorim. How can we emulate? the behavior and the characteristics of the others. How could we be Yashorim? How is it How could we take this characteristic that is the platform for everything that we also would like to be? We also want to be able to display this Yashorim. What is it that we can do that we could become a reflection of our ancestors, the original patriarchs of the Jewish people. 
what the answer is? The Pasuk says, What does it mean? If you want to truly emulate your ancestors, the Yeshorim, Avram, Yitzchak and Yaakov, you've got to cleave to Torah. You've got to be dedicated and devoted and loyal to the Torah. You've got to make the Torah a part of your life. What an opportunity we have right now at the beginning of the book of Bereshis. We've just celebrated the Siyum HaTorah at Simchas Torah, where we read Le'enechol Yisrael, and now we begin Bereshis, a beautiful vart that I saw is that the letters that conclude and the letter that concludes and the letter that begins the Torah make up the word in Hebrew for lave, for heart, lave. We've got to give our heart over to the Torah. We've got to connect all the dots. We've got to make sure that every aspect of the Torah is something that we make a part of our lives. That's what it means. That's the secret of how we can become Yeshorim, like Avraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov. Belis Yogafagam. Come on, we can all do it. It's, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's all within our, it's every part of it is within our grasp. Each one of us could become a Yoshar in our own lives, whatever that may mean. We could grab a hold of the Yashrus that could be the defining characteristic of our life and we could turn that into our life motif. That could, that could be this, the, the, the reality of who we are and who we want to be, not just now, but for the rest of our lives. And we too can have that praise that is used as the defining praise of the patriarchs, of the forefathers. You need to know every way of God, and that's going to straighten you out. We need to be straightened out. If we learn Torah, it's going to straighten out the way we understand things. We're going to understand things the way we need to understand them, as Jews and as Avdei Hashem. Yashrus Belimud. There's going to be a straightness, a clarity, let's call it, a clarity in the learning which is going to lead to a clarity, a straightness when it comes to uh, the wisdom that we need to have about how to conduct ourselves in life. And when we merit this Yashras, maybe it's the level one, entry level Yashras, eventually we'll get to the stage where we will truly understand what it is that God wants from us, why he put us here, and how we can function better as Avdeh Hashem. With which we will be able to fulfill our true destiny in every aspect of who we are and what we are meant to be. Let's look at the second piece. And God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it because on that day he rested as it were. We know it doesn't mean that God rested, but he rested as it were from all of his labors, which God had used to create the world to do, etc. That is a, a posse that's familiar 
uh, for us from Kiddush, and Rashi says something extraordinary. Do you know what he compares it to? you know what he correlates this Pasuk with? Vayavarech vayikadish. So he, he seizes upon the fact that Vayavarech elokim esyom ashavi vayikadish oisoi. That God both blessed it and sanctified it. He blessed the seventh day as Shabbos and he sanctified the second day as Shabbos. What does that mean? He blessed Borchu Bamon. He blessed them with Mon. Or he blesses us with the manna that comes from Shemaim from heaven. Every day they got a certain fixed amount of mon from Shemaim. It landed, it somehow formulated itself on the ground near their homes so that they had to eat. This was in the wilderness years, the 40 years of wandering between Mitzrayim and Eretz Canaan. And on Arab Shabbos on Friday, they had two lots that landed for each and every person. So both, they were blessed with the mon, they got the blessing of the food that they received every day, and they were also sanctified by the mon. That it didn't descend, it never appeared on Shabbos. They didn't have to be Mechal Shabbos in order to eat. They had the food, the mon, from Friday. So why does the posuk here say Vayavarech and Vayakadesh, it wants to give an indication, a hint as to what would happen a long time into the future when the Jewish people were in the wilderness between Mitzrayim and Eretz Canaan. Says the Mikdash Alevi, Why does the Posuk here in Maase Bereshis, in the Psukim regarding Shabbos at the beginning of Bereshis, why does it need to talk about the Mon? It's not something that comes until much later. Uh, why Bashabas Bereshis are we required to refer to something which was um, well into the future? Why is the Torah telling us about something that hasn't even happened yet? But something that's going to happen many years into the future. In order to understand this, how are we to understand it? We really need to look with greater, in, uh, with let's say more open eyes uh, and be a little bit more careful how we look through the Parsha Samon itself to see what it is that it says in the Parsha Samon which may give us an indicator as to why it should be hinted at in Parsha's Bereshis. What does it say? The Psukim say something very very interesting. The sequence of events doesn't make much sense. It was on the sixth day, that means the sixth day of them wherever it was, it was on a Friday. So they they collected, they came out of their homes and they saw that instead of getting the regular amount, there was double the amount. They collected this double amount, which was two Omer amounts, for each individual. At that stage, the princes, the leaders of each tribe came to Moshe Rabbeinu and they told him what had happened, that they came out every day, there was just one Omer. And uh, this day, Friday, they'd come out in the morning and there was two Omers for everybody. There was double the amount for each individual. So they came and told him about this mysterious event that they were getting double of what they needed. So you know what Moshe said to them? Who Hashem? This is exactly what Hashem said. What did he say? Shabbos in Shabbos Kodesh Lashem Mochar. That tomorrow is going to be 
a Shabbos, a day of rest, whatever. We know that it doesn't mean that we're all going to sleep or that we're going to lie in bed all day, but there's some time we desist from the labor of the weekday and it's Shabbos. That's exactly what Hashem said, Moshe Rabbeinu told them, that it's going to be Shabbos tomorrow. So today's Friday, whatever you meant to bake, bake, you want to make chalas, make chalas. You want to boil something up in the pot, boil something up. Now's the moment. Whatever remains, because you've got double the amount, you should have at least half of it left. Keep that until tomorrow, and that's what you're going to eat on Shabbos. What you got this morning is going to last you through until tonight, and the double portion is going to be something that you're going to use tomorrow. And the Urachaim asks a question on this parsha, the parsha Samon that we find in Shmois Perik Zion. What does he ask? Why didn't Moshe Rabbein just tell them in advance? Do you know what? Tomorrow's going to be Shabbos. So this morning, you're all going to get double portions. Or tell them on, a Thursday, on Thursday night. Tonight's Leil Shishi. Tomorrow morning is Yom Shishi. Very good. You go out. You're going to discover that there's two lots instead of one. And so that they would know that uh, on that particular day, on Friday, that they have to collect not just one portion, but two, because they're going to need them, uh, both portions, one for today and one for tomorrow. Why did he wait for them to discover it on their own? And then they come and ask him the question. Why didn't he just inform them in advance? Only at that stage he explained to them what was going on. Oh, tomorrow's Shabbos, and that's what Hashem said. Why did he wait until they came to him? Why didn't he inform them in advance? For Tirita Arachaim, the Arachaim answers there in, Parsha, in, in Shmois, in Perik Design. First thing you need to know about a novi is that a novi can't just reveal information just because he knows it. The bottom line is, unless a novi is informed by God, please tell the people that this is what's going to happen. He has no right simply to give them information on the basis that he knows it. It's it's need to know basis only. Hashem may have told him, but Hashem didn't tell him to tell them, and therefore he couldn't just reveal that information. What about the reason? Why didn't Hashem tell him to tell them? You just compounded the question. Okay, Moshe didn't tell them because he couldn't. But why didn't Hashem tell him to tell them? What was the reason for that? What was the will of Hashem in this situation? What is it that Hashem wanted? He wanted them to uncover through their own devices and through their own input and through their own experience, independent of any other uh, instruction that they may get, the beauty and the sanctity of Shabbos. In practical terms and in, in, in terms of their intellectual understanding of it. He wanted, Hashem wanted, that the Bnei Yisrael would discover Shabbos. He wa- even though... They're Shabbos, Shabbos every Shabbos, right? He wanted them to discover it, not that he told them that this is what Shabbos means. What's going to happen? They're going to come out in the morning and suddenly they're going to see that they got double and they're going to be so happy. They're going to discover that they got food enough for two days, that tomorrow they're not going to have to go out to collect food. 
Mikach Yasiku Kiratsoin Hashem Shaliyetsu Lilkoit Oid Biyoma Shabbos. What they're going to then realize, going to think about it. Why are we getting food for two days? On Friday, yesterday was Thursday, we only got for one day. On Wednesday, we only got for one day. Why are we getting two on Friday? Because Hashem doesn't want us to go out tomorrow. He wants us to have the food for Shabbos before Shabbos. And they're going to realize that the Shabbos day is a holy day. It's a sanctified day. It's a sacred day. Let's say it would have been different. Let's say Moshe Rabbeinu would have told them in advance that it's going to be Shabbos tomorrow and you're going to get the mon tomorrow. Um, you're going to get double when it comes to uh, this morning, Friday morning, you're going to get double mon because tomorrow is going to be Shabbos. Haresha Shabbos Do you know what's going to happen? They're going to think, Shabbos? Oh my gosh, what a burden. Who wants it? Ah, I can't believe it's going to be Shabbos. What a waste of time. What a waste of opportunity. That's for the way they're going to react towards Shabbos. They're going to worry. They're going to think to themselves, what happens if I didn't have enough and it's going to be Shabbos and I'm not going to have enough food because he's going to tell them on Thursday night before they get the Friday food. They're going to spend the whole night worrying. They may not even sleep because they're so concerned. How am I going to feed my family? What am I going to do? I won't have enough food. Shabbos is suddenly going to become a negative and that's exactly what Hashem didn't want. He didn't want a, a Shabbos to be a negative. Even though on Friday morning they'd come outside and they see double, by that time there would be such a such a negative feeling towards Shabbos already. Even if that negative feeling somehow is mitigated by the double portion that they receive on Friday morning, practically it may be mitigated, but the spirit will be low. That which remains in their hearts. Um, what is it? That somehow Shabbos is an imposition. Shabbos is a negative. Shabbos is, is a pain. Shabbos is causing us problems. That's their reaction to Shabbos. And the first reaction is always the most powerful reaction. So what Hashem wanted was for them to discover Shabbos. They come outside on Friday morning and they see two portions. Amazing. Why are we getting two portions? Oh, because tomorrow is a special day. That is a very different way to discover. It's two, uh, it's two different ways about the same thing. One will leave them with a positive taste and one with a negative taste. And Hashem wanted them to have the positive taste. From the fact so we can learn from this that from the fact that Mon didn't fall on Shabbos as a result of this Mon falling double on Friday and not on Shabbos they learnt one of the deepest and most powerful lessons about Shabbos the way it happened revealed to them that Shabbos isn't a burden or a difficult day a troubling day that you're not allowed to do anything. That's not the way it happened at all. The way it was revealed to them was the exact opposite. Shabbos became branded by the way it was first revealed to the Jewish people. You know what Shabbos is? It's a day of gifts where we get more 
as a result of it being Shabbos. Do you know what happens on, Sh- on Shabbos? We don't have to worry about the regular day-to-day activities. We won't have to collect the food because the food is prepared in advance. We have it already. That's the message of Shabbos. It's a fantastic day because we don't have to cook and we don't have to bake. And we don't have to go shopping. What a marvelous day. What a fantastic opportunity. As a result of which... They're able to sanctify themselves. You can use Shabbos as a spiritually uplifting day as a result of the fact that you're not burdened by the regular day-to-day activities of normal life. As a result of which, this fundamental idea, you know what? Chazal found a remez, a hint at this, a hint to this, in the very first psukim, which describe Masiberashis, the creation of the world. Shekin Kvarato, even now, long before it ever happened, long before they were in the wilderness, long before they would have ever thought about Shabbos. Mafira Machriza Hatoira. The Torah makes us aware, declares Kia Shabbos Tiskadesh Bamon that the Shabbos is sanctified via the Mon, the Tisborech by Mon, and it's blessed by Mon. Both of those things, that the Shabbos is not something which brings us down, which is depressing, which is a burden, which, is, which causes us problems. The reverse is true. It's a most marvelous gift. There's nothing whatsoever like it. The next piece, Vayitzer Hashem Elohim Esa Odom, Ofer Minha Adoma, Vayipach Ba'apov. Actually, I'm going to not look at this one, and I'm going to look at the final one in your source sheet. If you look online, you'll see that there's a source sheet. I've included a number of Divrei Torah, but I'm going to go to the final one, um, and we're going to look at that, and then we'll be done. What happened was, this is in Peric Base, Prosecute Tess and Chof, that God created um, all the animals. All the animals were created. There's a huge range of, of animals, of living creatures in the world. And a lot of birds in the heavens. And he brought all of them to Odom. So that Odom could give them names. Each individual animal received its own name. Like a little bit like the Latin classification IDs that we have for each animal that gives us, you know. I mean, I know that a tiger is called a tiger, but you'll discover that a tiger has some kind of Latin name that indicates it's from the cat, from the feline family, but it's a, it's a tiger. And a lion is from the cat family, but it's a line. But all of those names and classifications, the ones that we know in the Hebrew language, what's a, what's a line called in the Hebrew language? Ari, Arie. That name for the lion is something that was given by Odom in that very first day of creation. All the animals were brought to Odom and he gave them all names. Vayikra Odom Shemois Lechol Habehema Ula Oifa Shomayim He gave names to all the domesticated creatures, 
to all the birds that fly in the sky and to every wild creature that is out there. And at that stage it says that Odom didn't have a wife and then we have the story of the creation of Chava. And this is long before he has a wife. He's a single individual on the planet. says the Mikdash Alevi, we need to think about the fact why is it that God decided that Adam Harishon should be the one who gives names to each and every creature in this world? What is going on here? What a curious thing. What a curious job. What a curious qualification. What is your job? What do you do? What are you qualified to do, Mr. Adam? I'll tell you what my job is. My job is I'm the animal name giver. Really? That's, that's the great qualification? That's your task? That's why God created you, so you can give names to the creatures? Why couldn't God have found some other way of giving the names to the creatures? Why does he need Adam Harishan to give names to creatures, to animals, to insects, to birds? What exactly is this? Is the fantastic ability that one is praising Adam with? It almost seems as if the Torah is raising him on a pedestal. Do you know what he achieved? Do you know what the great Adam achieved? He called every animal by its name. He gave it. He gave them all names. Who cares? Why would we care about the fact that? Adam was able to give names to animals. Why is that praise? Why exactly would that make him special? Is it such a special thing to ask someone to do, to give names to some? He can make up a name. He could decide that an animal is called Hapa Kapa Kapa and another animal is called Baba Laba Laba. I mean, what's the big deal? He could just make up words. Anybody could do it. The Torah decides it's so important that we need to know that Adam gave every animal names that it devotes a pasuk to it. You should know that Adam, all the animals were paraded before him and the birds, they flew past him. He gave them all names. Who cares? Why do we need to know that? Why is that so special? It becomes even more puzzling when you see him. And the Mikdash Alevi quotes a remarkable medrash. It really is a fascinating medrash. It's a nugget. It's beautiful. Listen. It's a, it's a medrash in uh, Breshis Rabba. Om Rab Acha. Rab Acha said, B'sho'a she'bo ha-kodesh bochu l'baros eso At the moment when God came, to the, to the exact moment when he's going to create man. Nimlach b'malachei ha-shores. And the malachei ha-shores said, Excuse me, God, what, it, what, what are you about to do? Oh, well, I'm about to create humanity. We're about to create an Adam, a human being. And they said, Excuse me, well, we don't need human beings. What do we need human beings for? I mean, we exist, don't we? We're sentient. I mean, we may not be physical, but we're sentient. Why would you create a human being? What would you do that for? 
So God said to the Malachim, most amazing thing. Odom, let us make man. What is exactly the quality of this man that you want us to create in partnership with you? So God said back to them, Do you know what? The wisdom of man is much greater than your wisdom. You think you're so clever? You should know Adam is cleverer than you. To prove it to them, he brought in front of them domesticated animals, behemoths, he brought birds, and he brought wild animals to the Malochim. And he said to them, Omalahem, there, this one, he pointed at one of the animals in front of him. He said, there, what's this animal's name? What's it called? Says the Medrash. But the Malochim didn't know what they were called, didn't know the names of these animals. Heviron lifne Adam. Then he brought the animals in front of Adam. Oma, and you know what Adam Rishon said? He said, that one over there, Zeh Shoir. That's a Shoir, it's an ox. Zeh, do you see that one over there? Looks a bit like a horse, but much smaller. It's not. Do you know what it is? It's a Chamoir. Zeh Sus, that one, that's the horse. But Zeh Gomel, that's the camel. Every animal Adam could name. By the way, it was the first time they'd ever been given names. Do you know what this Medrash is telling us? That the Malachim didn't know the names. And Adam did. And that makes Adam much cleverer, much wiser, much more gifted than Malachim. Which is why Adam was created. Have you ever heard something like it in your life? Do you know why humanity was created? Because only humanity knows how to give names to animals. Really? That's it? That's the sum total of our expertise? That makes it worthwhile for humanity to be created? That was the answer that God gave to the Malachim? You're all a bunch of morons. Do you know why? Because you can't give animals names. But humanity? Human beings? Oh, they know what a shoir is. They know what a chamoir is. They know what a sus is. They know what a gomol is. Wow. Now we need to create man. Naseh Adam. That's what the Medrash says. Mikdash Alevi quotes this Medrash. He says, now a question has just become exponentially more difficult. It's not just that the Torah identifies the fact that the Odom, that the first, the prototype man, was able to name each individual creature. The fact is that the Torah, the Medrash, is telling us about this particular incident in the Torah, this pasuk in the Torah, these two psukim, that this is what shows us that man was worth creating, what incredible wisdom man possesses, because man has the ability to name creatures. It makes them more elevated. Adam Arisham is more elevated than the greatest angel. Because he's able to give names to animals. Ah, sus, ah, chamoir. Really? It's amazing. Are we suggesting that they didn't know what the names were that should be given to animals? I mean, they could have said Abba Laba Laba as well, right? Okay, they may have, may have sounded a bit more sophisticated, but you get the point. You can make up a name. What's the big deal? The Malachim couldn't do that. Only Odom could do it. 
did it perfectly. He knew this one's a sus. It's not a bus, and it's not a kus, it's a sus. Ah, Adam, you're so clever. Why? What's going on here? We need to explain. What exactly is the chokma? What chokma is it, it, does it entail to call an animal by its proper name? Why is it that the Medrash tells us about this chokma and elevates it to such a level that the way it's described, it, it puts us on a pedestal above even the greatest angels? Well, what is it? What is required? What is so special about it? V'nir Eloima, Hashem, says the Mikdash Alevi, what is the essence of a name? Eino rak simon. It's not just branding. It's not just bala 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 bala. It's not just made up words. Somehow it connotes. Somehow it drives home something about the thing that has that name. It's not just a simon. It's not just a ticket number. It's not just a, a series of letters. It's much more than that. It's not rak begeda simon ba'alma bechdesha niten yu lezhois kol balchaim lagdiray. It's not just like the Latin names that enable us to identify something down to the last specific detail that we know it's not a lion cat. It's a tiger cat. That's not the point of a name. Maybe that's the point of the name in the way that we use the, the names, that we know the difference between one animal and another, one species and another species, one particular breed and another particular breed. There's, there's, there's one monkey, but there's many different breeds and types and species of monkey. That's not what it's about. I mean, obviously, you need to know what you're looking at. But that's a simon ba'alma. That's just a way of identifying some things that you know what you're talking about. But a shame, a shin mem, the name that you get in Hebrew, that's so much more. Mehusay shel Hashem hino bitui le'oymek koiches nafshoi utchunoisov shel bal Hashem. You know what the name is? It identifies not just what the thing is, but what that thing's koyachanefesh is. What is it that this particular thing with that name has that sets it apart and enables it, distinguishes it? What is it that this thing can do? How would we know that? We can know it via the name. It's not just a random thing that anybody could do by saying bala bala bala. No, that's, that's yeah, maybe you could do that. And you could use your laba 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 to identify a particular animal, and you'd know what that animal is, but it wouldn't tell you what the animal is about. It would just tell you how you identify it. So it's not a simple matter at all. Likroi, shemois lecho balechaim, to call names, to give names to all the balechaim, to all the living creatures. Boruki malo gadoila veniskavohi, lodas lahovin, lahavchin bitchunoisav shako balechaim. Do you know what it takes for somebody to look at a Balchaim and know exactly what it's about? So that when it gives that Balchaim its name, that name becomes a code, not just to know what the thing is, but to know what it's all about. 
what its essence is, what its capabilities are. That requires real chokhmah. And to discover all of this depth, the shame kotzer mamutza. I mean, just a tiny three-letter, four-letter, sus is four letters, samach, vav, samach, three letters. Chamoir is four letters, ches, mem, vav, resh. Gomel, three letters, gimel, mem, lamed. What's gomel telling you about the camel? Listen, I'm not an expert. But the Mikdash Alevi is telling us a yesoid, a foundational idea, that the name that Oda Marishan gave to each and every animal tells us something about the animal. In order to do that, Adam needed to have incredible wisdom, incredible chokhmah, the deepest. Do you know what? Even the great angels, they don't have that chokhmah. Only Adam has it. Adam Arishon had it. He had that ability. He had that talent. He could give names to animals. That's why it made it. Worth it, it was worth creating him. Bereiv chachmasai yada adam harishon lered leimig datoy tchunaisav shel kol balchai. Adam was able, in a minute, in a second. Can you imagine how many animals went past him that day? In one second, he could see into the deepest depth of each of the balchaim, balichaim, lehovin es tchunaisav lesharashon to know what their qualities were to their very root. Lira says Tivoy, Vesmuhusoi, to understand its nature, its appearance. The Litsoik Eskola Imekazel Tokhshem Kotsavakula. And to to summarize all of those things into one tiny little name. Okay, so we do understand why Odom was great, why there was Chochma, why it's worth mentioning in the Torah, but we still need to understand something. Why is it that giving those names was such an essential part of Adam Harishrain's first, it was the first task he did before he had a wife, before there was another human being on the planet. Adam Harishrain had to give names to all the Balechaim. Why do you have to bring them all the animals? Bring them a few. Maybe you do a few more next week. It's a project. We'll, we'll do over the next few months. We'll name as many animals as possible. We'll have a bit of a checklist. We'll draw a few pictures. And we'll get to them. If we don't get to them today, we'll get to them tomorrow, next week, next month. And particularly, why would Adam be required to give names to those animals that don't have any connection? Never, No human being ever comes across them. You know, but there's no uh, David Attenborough in ancient times that's going with cameras and sticking cameras into trees and seeing how animals behave. Animals belong in the jungle, in the bush, or wherever it is that they live. Human beings long in, belong in, in places that are built up for human beings. And we try not to confuse the two places because we don't want to come again. We don't want to come across a rhinoceros because a rhinoceros is going to kill us or a hippopotamus. And if an elephant can be domesticated, we'll domesticate the elephant and we'll leave the wild elephants where they are. And all the other wild beasts and animals and insects and birds and whatever it is. We don't need to know what their names are. What difference what their names are? What difference does it make? What about these terribly wild animals? Killers. These the carnivores. Predators. 
We don't need to know their names. What difference does it make? Oh, if we'll get to it. If we ever see one, we'll give it a name. I mean, to think about it, what he had to do that day was quite incredible. And why did he need to do it? Why couldn't Hashem do it? Hashem should give them the name. And when that animal, we finally get to come across it, he'll know what the name is. Why did he have to name them? What is the Torah teaching us? What lesson lies in this particular incident in the Torah? The Nirel Levare says the Mikdash Alevi. Alpidivriya Gemara, there's a Gemara. Omer Rabbi Yochanan. The Gemara is in Erevin, Daf Kuf Omud Beis. Rabbi Yochanan says, Ilmali lo nitna Torah, hainu lamidin tsenius mechatov. He says, imagine there wouldn't have been a Torah. We could, what we would today refer to as humanism. The correct mode of behavior, how one should behave in, in a community group towards each other and with each other. If there was not a Torah to give us instruction, says Rabbi Yochanan, it's okay, we would have learned those things from animals in the animal kingdom. For example, you could learn dignity, dignity and tznius, the way that one should behave and is kind of with a privacy and in a dignified manner. You could learn from a cat. Cats are very dignified animals. They're not wild. They don't give public displays of themselves. They do th- things in private. They go to the bathroom in private. You could learn sneers from a chatul. Gezel minamola. How not to be a thief. You could learn from an ant. Very, very careful where it takes things from and it doesn't take from its fellow ants. They all live together in a community. They all take care of each other. There's no theft in an ant colony. Because I've learned from the ant, you don't need the Torah to tell you, or we have the Torah, but had the Torah not be existed, we would have known it from the ant. Arayos miyoina. You know that doves choose a mate for life. They have like a wife, a husband. They are a couple for all of their lives. They don't choose a new one every year. And they're very devoted and faithful. That faith and loyalty in a couple relationship we don't need the Torah to tell us about it. There's no adultery in the dove world. We could have learned those things from the doves. Derech Eretz mitanagoil. Derech Eretz, the way to behave between each other. That we could have learned from chickens. They're very caring for each other. They're always looking out for each other. Amazing. We could have learned from the animal kingdom so many of the qualities that we take for granted but only because we received the Torah, which instructed us how to behave. Hare lonu, says the Mikdash HaLevi. Kakodesh teva tivim nuusim ruuyim b'miyuchud ba'i eilu me'achayas. Ba'i eilu she'achayas. It's interesting that all of these qualities are unique to these particular creatures, but they don't have the qualities of the other ones. So they display these qualities. But you wouldn't be able to look at a dove for Derech Eretz. You can only look at a dove to know how to avoid Arroyas. And you can't look to the chicken for dignity. That's specific to the, to the cat, but it's not specific at all. In fact, it doesn't exist when it comes to a chicken. They couldn't care to behave in an undignified way. But each one of these animals 
with this individual trait, we could look at them and they could be a living Musa drosha to us for how we should behave. You look at an ant, the discipline and behavior of an ant and the way that they conduct themselves with honesty and integrity in their community, in their community life, they could act as a Musa drosha for us. It's an amazing idea that these animals have so much to teach us. Each of them has an individual quality that is so unique and so special and so wonderful that if we looked at the animal and knew a little bit about it, we would be able to learn so much about how we should conduct ourselves in our own lives. Not every quality of the animal, but that one specific quality, if we could draw it out and introduce it into our lives, that could be the musr that that animal could teach us. It's a thought, isn't it? And that's why, says Mikdash Alevi, it, it would make sense that immediately after the man was created, Adam Harishain, there was no Torah in those days. They didn't have the Torah. And God wanted humanity to behave itself. They didn't listen. They didn't watch for the signs. But that's what he wanted. How would they know how to behave? How would they know what it is that they are meant to do? Where are the books to teach them? They can't even read. They haven't invented an alphabet yet. Where are they going to discover the lessons of life? The most important thing at that stage in prehistoric history was for Adam Arishan to give names to each and every animal. Do you know why? Because then he would have to focus and concentrate. What is it that's the essence of this animal? What does this animal represent? Ah, that's what it is. The Khatul has Tznius. Suddenly he learned the lesson of Tznius. And he calls it a Khatul. I don't know how Khatul indicates Tznius. But somehow he would learn Tznius from having come across and encountered a cat. It's an amazing idea. Each and every animal has its unique characteristic that can act as a guide, as a moral compass for the way that humanity can behave. That comes even before he has a wife. That comes before Chava is created. Right now, we need the book of life. The book of life are the animals, the animal kingdom, the birds, the animals, each and even the wild animals. Somehow, each one of them has a lesson to teach humanity. And from that, Odom Arisham will know how to behave. As a result of having given all these names and encountered every one of these animals, Odom Arisham will know how to behave and will convey these modes of behavior to his family, his wife, his children, his descendants and humankind for all time. That was the foundational lesson, the very first lesson that existed in human history was the naming of the animals, something even the Malochim couldn't do. 
that only Adam Harishain knew how to do. We'll leave it here for today. Thank you.